I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. So, uh, without further ado, uh, I would like our guest today to introduce themselves uh, with their name, the business, and to describe what their business does. So, over to you, Candice. Hi, my name is Candice Samaroff. I work for two companies. Uh, I run the business development for both of them. Uh, one is called BBS Capital. We are the longest-standing boutique debt advisors in London, where we assist uh, the real estate world, basically helping the mid to large size real estate investors and developers uh, acquire, obtain their debt and equity for all types of real estate deals across the UK and Western Europe. And with my other hat on, I run the business development for a company called Trimont, who are one of the world's largest uh, loan servicers. We're global and we help the larger banks with a lot of their uh, servicing and back office requirements. Okay, uh, that's a, a really helpful explanation. Uh, knowing you a little bit as I do, that's not how you started your career. And so perhaps you can talk people through your career pathway in terms of how did you get from, you know, I guess, early early years, school life through to what you're doing now, because it, it's not it's not a, not been a linear route, if that's a fair way of describing it. Yeah, it was pretty linear at the beginning uh, because from the age of 12, I wanted to be a lawyer and that is what I became. So I went to university pretty young uh, and I practiced law after studying for five years. I practiced for 10. Uh, so I was always in the real estate industry and I knew that was the industry I wanted to stay in. Um, but I, I realized quite early on that there were more fun ways of making more money than sitting and reading 300 page documents. I realized there were better people placed to do that than me. And so the journey began for me to decide to leave the law and go elsewhere. And and when you left the law, what was the what was the sort of first first place you ended up or the first business that you ended up in? So I'll never forget what happened. I, I started off in a small niche uh, commercial real estate firm, thought I'd be there for life. And on year seven, when they were offering me partnership, at the same time, I got a phone call from a, a relatively large law firm compared to where I'd been saying, right, we keep hearing your name. 
uh, we've got a brilliant real estate practice, but we're not very good at bringing in new business. Why don't you come over? You can do as much legal as you want, but we'd love you to be the face of the firm to build our business. That hadn't really been done before in Scotland. So it was quite exciting, although I didn't want to leave where I was because I loved the managing partner and the senior partner. But anyway, they were offering me more money to do something that sounded really good fun. So I had to, to go for it. And a few years in during that, I started doing a lot more business development and a lot less of the legals. And I realized that's that was my home. That's where I should have been. And then the crash happened, the GFC, and I, and I sat with some of the partners in the firm and I said, guys, we've got a problem here because anyone buying real estate in Scotland over the next five years is not coming from Scottish money. It's going to come from down south. We don't have a London practice and we don't have connections in London. What are we going to do about it? And they all looked at me and they went, good idea. Start traveling to London. Go and find us business. I didn't like London. And I was like, really? Anyway, I started coming down to London very quickly, started to build this network in real estate, and I got a bit of the bug, and I thought, I want to be in London. By this point, I realised I don't want to be in law anymore. I want to stay in real estate, but what do I do next? Long story short, I go back up to Glasgow um, after one of my London trips, and I get invited to a black tie real estate event. This guy approaches me and says, OK, I've heard your name three times now. I run this company called uh, Marsh McClellan in Scotland, and I'm doing a lot in real estate. Could you help open some doors for me? I said, sure. So I helped this guy out, and then he said to me, come and work with me. I said, I don't even know what you do. Anyway, I said to him, but off the record, don't tell anyone. I do want to leave law. I do want to leave Scotland. I want to stay in real estate. I need to be in business development. I just don't know what to do. And he said, well, why don't you just run our real estate practice in London? And then that all started. The next minute I found myself at the Marsh McLellan offices in London. And the next minute I was down running Marsh McLellan's European real estate strategy and I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and for those that don't know who or what Marsh McLellan are, can you just describe Marsh McLellan as a sure. business? So Marsh are, I don't know where they stand now, but at the time they were the largest uh, insurance brokers globally. Um, I think at the time they had about a 70 billion turnover. I don't know how many thousands of staff. And they had 2,000 staff in Tower Hill um, in London. And um, we were looking after all the real estate insurance needs for sort, sort of the largest real estate platforms in Europe um, globally. And so a marsh, so a Martian underwriter, broker, um, so, so they're, they're general the insurer. Okay. Yes, they're, they're the middleman. So unlike real estate, which is now changing, where a lot of people do use a middleman to, to source their debt, in insurance, you very, very seldom get platforms that go direct to an insurer. They normally go through an intermediary, whether it's Marsh or Aon or Lockton or whomever. And, and so when you were in, uh, so presumably you've been most of your life in Scotland, in Glasgow, um, where you would have grown up and um and then did you go to university in Glasgow as well or or was that to Glasgow University I got accepted at 16 to go to Glasgow University to study law gosh seems like forever ago <laughs> it is forever ago. uh but but I guess the uh, I guess from that perspective you'd pretty much never left 
Glasgow or Scotland, I mean, other than maybe to go on holiday or whatever. And then you you thrust to this position in this huge company in an industry that you hadn't really worked in before. Um, and you had to relocate to, you know, one of the global financial centres. Uh, and I haven't been to Glasgow, but I can, you know, it's definitely going to be a lot smaller than London. So what was that transition like? Was that quite daunting for you to to not only be moving to this you know, great big city, but also into this role in very unfamiliar territory? How did you how did what was what were you experiencing when you when before you started in the, in the early days of that role? Oh, that's a great question. I left everything behind. So it was massive. You know, I I, I, I left a nine year relationship. We had a house together. I left all my family and friends and I have a massive family, um, big friendship group. So that was really tough. I, I was really excited because I just sort of knew it, it was what I was meant to do. But it, I was, I don't do anxious or scared. But I think overnight I like dropped a stone and I and my feet size changed from a size five to a size four and a half. And the sad thing is, if you sadly used to look me up in Glasgow, the first thing that would come up was my shoe obsession. So all my shoes could not come with me to London because my feet shrunk. Anyway, I was excited, but it didn't go to plan at the beginning. I found London really, really tough. I think people in Glasgow just have a lot of time for you. They're all so friendly and chatty. There's a great vibe. And ironically, I thought very safe. I came to London and people thought, oh, you're from Glasgow. You must have seen some stuff. I said, no, I've been in London one year. I've had my house broken into. I've had someone trying to nick my phone off me in the middle of uh, Regent Street. None of that happened to me in Glasgow. So it was really, really tough trying to find, you know, my new, my new friendship groups and uh, in a new job that I didn't understand and I didn't know anyone, so it was tough. And how, and how did you, you know, how did you, um, how did you overcome those challenges? How, how did you make the best of them? I think just the candy's normal strategy. I just grabbed life with both hands and just said, right, you've made this choice now, go for it. So I just, um, well, the first thing I really had to do because I think one of the main reasons Marsh took me on was that they'd been told by other sponsors and people that my network was vast. Well, my network might have been vast with property guys of portfolios of 50 to 100 million because in Scotland for legal fees, that's all you needed were guys that were buying 10 million pound properties. In insurance, the margins are so light that I had to get into the billions territory. Well, that didn't really exist in Scotland apart from maybe Aberdeen, Scottish Widows or whatever. So I had to build this whole network. So I went to the opening of every envelope there was. So clearly you're clearly you're a master networker um, and we can uh, we can touch on that uh, later on as we've got a specific question for when we talk about superpowers. Um, In terms of in terms of what happened so you what happened from marsh onwards so you've joined marsh you've taken uh you've taken a little while to settle in you're in this big scary city and you've 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 kind of adjusted to that and you've overcome it um once you got settled into marsh what what kind of what what came next so yeah finally started to understand what i was doing i brought in a, a very large client so that was 
excellent and I absolutely adored the, the guy at it. At the time he was at Aberdeen Asset just before they had the JV with, Swip, with Scottish Widows and brought in this 28 billion uh, European portfolio which was amazing and the guy was just like me an ex-lawyer uh, we just got on really well so that was great and then I started to bring in some other large clients so it was all going quite well but I, I knew deep down I was never going to stay in insurance it was it was a great platform to get me to London and I learned stuff but it was really a stepping stone anyway one of our clients was M7 um, and uh, long story short Richard Croft, who I have an immense amount of love for, who's the CEO of M7, had uh, said he's just very entrepreneurial and, and he had so many of the service providers that assist M7, he sometimes thinks maybe we should do that as a side thing or invest in it and make it better. So he said, why don't we set up our own real estate insurance business and you'll bring in all the business and you know we'll sell it in five years. Anyway, I didn't think I wanted to stay in insurance, so I hummed and hawed about it. Long story short, I said to him, I realised I've not found anything that I love so much that I just want to do that 24-7. So I said to him, I tell you what, set up the business, bring in the right people to do the execution. I'll run the business development, I'll drive the business, but I'll only do it if you let me do other things on the side. Because I'd collected such an amazing network and people were saying to me you know everyone can't you come on my board or can you help me a consultant so anyway he agreed to that wholeheartedly and so left Marsh much to some people's uh, anyway move on um we had the insurance business and on the side I was consulting for various different family offices property companies etc so I had fingers on lots of different pies which I loved and then um, the insurance business grew very quickly and we sold out very quickly. All of a sudden I found myself sold out and I'm thinking, what am I going to do next? I mean, how, how, how does it feel to have founded a business and then to have exited it quite quickly after? Um, you know, th- th- for many entrepreneurs, that that's a once in a lifetime thing. Um, and and I'm curious because you something that, you know, it, in my own experience, something that I would aspire to as well. Um, it, it's something that you, you you are quite quick to gloss over. Um, is, is there is there more to that or, you know, do you want to are you able to just um, elaborate a little bit more about how 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 you are feeling or do, do you or do you put it down or are you putting it down to something else? I think that um, unfortunately one of the partners there uh, wasn't that well and couldn't really continue. Could we have done it for an extra three years and built it more and had a larger exit? Yes, but it just, it was good. It was good. I love who we sold to. Still have a very good relationship with these guys today. And Listen, I, I never really got very excited about insurance. It's an absolute cornerstone requirement for our industry and business full stop, life full stop. But I was ready for other things. And the guys that bought us were were amazing. They, they offered me the same sort of thing. Come and work for us three days a week and do your own thing. But I, because I'd been consulting for other people, I started to see the world of finance and thought, 
I think that's where I want to be. So it was good to um, take a little bit of time out, breathe, and then go, right, I'm starting again. And this time, it's going to be in the world of fi- real estate finance. And I presume you, uh, you, you probably, but you're still probably quite grateful to to Richard Croft for twisting your arm into setting the insurance business up, nonetheless. Absolutely, I still see him as regularly as mm. I can. I think uh, drinking a diary okay. next week. And that insurance business, what was it called for for those that don't know? Solo insurance. Solo and insurance. Got, and it got sold to Lockton, who I think are the largest privately owned. Uh, real estate insurance brokers. And um, do they does Solo still operate under their own separate brand, or is that uh, or is that under Lockton now? Under Lockton. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. For yeah, as as Candice mentioned, Lockton are a huge insurance. Uh, they're they're an advisory insurance brokerage advisory business. Um, and if you're in the real estate world, it's quite hard to do anything without uh, tripping over them at some point. Um, Cool. So uh, you've sold solo. Uh, how much time did you have kind of out in, in the garden or you or was it for you straight back in? I want to, you know, you, you, you want to be straight in the game as soon as you can. I thought I would have spent quite a bit of time in the garden, but um, for anyone that knows me, I'm not very good at gardening. So <laughs> it wasn't very long at all. I think I started speaking to people. I'm trying to remember the timings when we sold I can't even remember but I, I was it was maybe more I went away I think for a few weeks maybe six weeks maybe six weeks and then I thought okay I'm, I'm losing my network I want to speak to people and and uh, dead advisory was something I was really interested in because actually Crofty asked me to go and help this guy who was setting up a debt advisory platform and that and that made me see that space and I'd known the guys at BBS for many years, and I thought that's where I want to go. So I think I just actually bumped into them in the street and said, um, "Guys, we need to talk." And they were like, "All oh, right, why?" I said, "Cause you need me." They were like, "Oh, do we?" And I think six weeks later, I was working with them. <laughs> something, something like that. Uh, possibly only something that you can get away with, Candice, but. Uh... <laughs> That 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 degree of chutzpah, uh, I think uh, I think many people could learn from. But uh, better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Uh, I think that's the way to pr- approach it. So and so within BBS and and I suppose more more recently Trimont and you've been working with them what for about uh, three four years now is that right? Both of them now for four years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, as it seems you're you know making a a, a roaring resounding success. Uh, as far as both of those businesses are concerned, do you have a, do you have sort of further plans uh, to integrate yourself further into either BBS or Trimont, or are you looking perhaps for something else, for, uh, some some other interest? Uh, you know, as you say, you'd like to have fingers in lots of pies. Is this, are there other things that you're looking at right now, or looking for? It's always a balance, isn't it? Trying to find time. I don't really. Most of us don't have much of that anymore. <laughs> So trying to find any more time, uh, I, I get asked regularly for meds and, uh, but nothing's quite come up yet that I've gone, I want to do it. But I, I would love to be on one or two boards. I think at, at my old age and all my years in the industry and my connectivity, 
but it's just going to be the right one. So I do one or two non-execs, but nothing yet has tickled me. Uh, but I really can't do much more. I, I'm with the two companies I'm with. There's, we're in a very difficult market uh, where everything's just taking longer and everything's just that bit harder. So I'm finding that I'm having to delve deeper to try and get the same sort of success. So there's just not much time. Uh, and with the charity work and with the family and trying to have a life. But yeah, I, I would like to do one or two non-execs. Um, and with both of these jobs, um, watch this space. So I think you, you touched on the you touched on the point around the difficult market. Um, I'm going to skip uh, skip one on my my own personal list of questions. But um, you, as as you've mentioned the difficulties in the market, I was going to say, what do you see your biggest challenges or threats in the next eighteen months? And then I suppose uh, the follow up to that is, how do you then intend to approach those challenges to overcome them? Well, with BBS, listen, a, a year ago when your underlying bank rate was sitting at quarter of a percent, every real estate deal made sense because debt had just been so cheap and had been sitting flat for so many years. When rates, the underlying rate rose by so many hundreds of percent in such a quick period, the world just halted in Q4 of last year, and Q4 is notoriously the busiest quarter of the year. So we can discuss all the macro headwinds, and everyone's heard them a gazillion times, but from the horrific war to the COVID to the underlying interest rates to uh, inflationary pressure, I'm going on and on, but interest rates full stop have just made most many real estate deals non-accretive. So there's been an absolute dearth of acquisition and development work from sort of October time to now. The market's very active now and we're going to get very busy in the refinancing territory because unfortunately a lot of people are going to be in breach and they're going to have to work out what they do next. So we're going to be busy, but it's going to be difficult because they're all going to be complex deals. Whereas, you know, a few years ago, it was a case of buying this shiny building for 100 million. I need 60 LTV, get us the best debt terms. It's not going to be much of that going on for the next few years, I think. So it, as, a, as opposed to being sort of, uh, you're going from, facilitator to firefighter in in some in, in some respects and it's a it's a lot more fun being the facilitator uh, than it is being the firefighter but I wonder whether that will actually be a a more satisfying time for for you as a group um you know or for you personally because at least you'll then you know you you'll you'll ultimately be helping solve people's problems and some of those people will be in significant distress especially if they've got personal liability um you know you talk about breach obviously for those that don't know that's um covenant breaches of loan terms and um certainly when you've borrowed hundreds of millions of pounds or euros or dollars or you know fill in the blank currency and the people who lend you the money they've got 
Um, they've got a very, they've got a 120 plus page document, which has got a, about a 150 different reasons why they can uh, ask you to pay the loan back. And if you can't pay the loan back, the consequences can be quite significant, especially if you've got a personal liability. So, um, yeah, I think, Candice, you and your colleagues uh, are doing uh, some very important work uh, to help keep the commercial real estate uh, industry going. Um, and, and actually, I speak from my own experience. I'm looking at an opportunity right now. And whilst the yield on the, on the building and the, the business model looks very attractive because of the short nature of the income and the, the nature of the asset, the, the cost of borrowing could be as high as 8% from a, from a challenger bank. And that's actually, quite, that's actually quite scary when you're investing your own family or personal capital to know that if you get this wrong, you're going to be having, you're going to be saddled with a huge interest burden and potentially no income from an asset in two and a half, three years time. And that, that's quite a scary prospect. And it's a lot less scary when interest rates are at 0.5% and you can handle an interest margin of three and a half percent. But it's a completely different kettle of fish when interest rates are four and a half percent as they may be in the middle of the year. And you've then got three and a half percent margin on top of that. So yeah, it's 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 easy to see why new acquisition work is drying up, and at the same time, you you do have refinances which you're going to need to put into place and restructuring deals. I, I get it completely. Um, as as a business leader, what's just speaking more generally, what are the challenges that you typically experience, um, and and how do you approach those challenges? Good staff. <laughs> I mean, that's a good, that is a very good answer. Um, do you want to just elaborate that a little bit? Uh, 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 elaborate I, I, a bit more? Yeah, I think it's quite fascinating because if you go back just a generation or if you go back, say, 30 years, you never had more than three generations under one roof in an office space. But because everyone's living longer, some people are working longer, some people are starting work earlier, you can now have an office space for different generations, all of whom decipher knowledge in a very different way, want to work in a very different way, and don't seem to understand each other. So I'm at that age now, I can't remember what I'm called anymore, what 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 gap I'm in. But whether it's the Gen Zs or the millennials or whatever, they do they want to do things very differently. And and oldies like me can, can struggle with a lot of it. Um Back in my day when I earned 10 grand as a lawyer, I never said no. If my boss said to me, here's another file, go and do it, you go, okay. And, and these kids are going, well, I don't really want to come into the office today. I'm going to work from home and uh, well, I'm not going to take that on because I need a balance in my life. And they probably got it right. It's just very hard for, for us who maybe more of workhorses. I, I don't know what the terminology is. But that's just quite tough. So last year when inflationary measures started to go where they were, and I'm hearing all these stories of, you know, these young analysts coming out of uni and wanting a hundred grand base, you're just like, what? What's going on? Um, I'll, yes. I'll, take, I'll take that job, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I just I, think I, it's really hard to get good quality people, people that... Listen, I always say in every service industry, you get three types of people. You get grinders, you get minders, and you get finders. 
Now, in certain industries, you grow to a bit of, of all of them, but the grinders are the guys that you come out of uni or wherever and you're taught to do something. And in time, hopefully you get good at grinding. And if that's what you like and that's what you're good at, great. But a lot of businesses then say, you've been grinding very well for six years. We're now going to make you a minder. And, and the skill sets aren't often very transferable. Uh, so it doesn't really work. Anyway, and then you get the finders, the ones that go out and bring in the business. So it's it's trying to find people that understanding where, where they're great and where to position them. And, and some can do a bit of all, but most really should maybe sit in one or two positions. Doesn't seem to work that well in industries. I, I, I love that. I love that analogy you just gave about you know the grind the the grinders who become the minders and and actually we've had a recent experience of that um, within one of my businesses where someone was promoted from a grinder to be a minder, um, but I think ultimately they probably weren't naturally suited to be a minder. They didn't have the skill set, and I think ironically some other people who've who we've had in our business who probably weren't the best grinders, they probably weren't the best, they probably weren't the hardest working people, but they probably had a more natural aptitude and inclination to be managers of people. Um, well, and if you look at the football industry, it's, it's a great reflection. Some of the best football managers of all time were very average players. Yeah. It's a totally and utterly different, yeah, different skill set. But um, I, think, I think ultimately, you know, what you're talking about with the you know that 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 approach for should we say the younger generation the sort of the gen z and and, and younger perhaps you know you, I, I can't talk down millennials too much because i just about qualify as one but um i'll stop rubbing it in uh, well you know I, I i don't like i i think you you do yourself a disservice by by describing yourself as old it, it, you're only you're only a few years older than me so uh <laughs> don't, uh, i think I think if you, I think if anyone was to meet you, no one would ever, no one would ever dare describe you as that. You'd probably uh, at three in the morning when they're when when they're passed out under a table. So, so yeah, I I think that 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 cultural disconnect that that there is existing between some of the younger younger members of staff and um, and the older members of staff is quite an interesting phenomenon that that we're seeing play out right now but ironically I think in certainly in you know in higher skilled knowledge-based industries a lot of the younger people are are quite happy and quite keen to come into the office and actually where uh, it's some of the managerial classes that are less inclined to come into the office because they're the ones um, not too dissimilar to yourself and myself where we have that longer commute it's not as convenient and Covid has Covid spoiled some of us around our, our, our working practices and whether you know whether we go in to the office or not whereas the, the, a lot of the younger people who are working in offices they tend to live closer they you know they live in more urban areas and actually I think they enjoy the energy and the buzz that comes from being in an office um, but certainly you know there, there are differences across all industries and sometimes you have to I think the key thing as you as you've probably said is that you just need to find the people who are, who are appropriately culturally aligned with your business so that they fit in with you and you fit with them. Yeah, good point, well made. Cool. So um, just talking about lifestyle for a moment, what, um, what positive habits are you engaged in that support your lifestyle 
and well-being and I suppose can use examples of you know meditation going to the gym lifting weights um you know diet you know I suppose intermittent fasting of that sort of thing do you engage any of those any of those things well um growing up I did a lot a lot of dancing um if it hadn't been from coming from a family that pushed education so much it's probably what I would have been so I've always I had a very strict dance teacher um so it was always stomach in shoulders back uh and that's always sort of stayed with me so I've always been obsessed with the the physical form because most dancers are uh so yeah I've always understood diet and what my body likes and what my body doesn't like so when all this intermittent fasting came out it made me laugh because it's something I've done forever but never thought of it it's just part of life um since covid bizarrely got into running i've never run in my life in fact it was my idea of hell uh long story i had an injury just before covid i've had quite a few knee surgeries from dancing and just before covid i did something to my knee couldn't go out uh, physio online and he got my legs strong again by just going through exercises and um, he told me to have a little run to see how my knee was. And then I thought, mm. anyway, so that's all I do now. I, I try and do three, five or six Ks a week. Um, and I, I've got I've got the running bug. I love it. Any plans to do any half marathons or marathons? Absolutely not. And what I love, unlike my partner, who he loves to do runs out on the road. We've got some nice places near here. I actually go on my treadmill. I'm, I'm an avid reader and I just, we just don't get much time. So I put my Kindle on my treadmill and I do my three runs a week and that helps me get through a book a week. So it's I can do a double. That, that's awesome. Double. What what kind of stuff do you read? Is it fiction, non-fiction? Any particular, any particular things that you find more interesting? It's a real mix. It depends where my mind's at and what's going on so I used to only read popular psychology so when I was a lawyer I never read I think when you're a lawyer you're constantly feeling guilty because you've just got so much to read and the minute I stopped practicing it was like oh I've got a whole life to learn <laughs> so it's a real mixture like I never used to read autobiographies and then during Covid my reading just went right up because I had so many extra hours and then I got into this raft of autobiographies um just now I'm doing a real mix um so yeah I'd say I love I'm a true romantic at heart really so when I get friends that say oh you've got to read this and I read it and I go what did you do that to me for so I I love stuff that's I'm either learning or it's uplifting uh interesting and then I finish it and I, I and I'm I'm something more than I was before I started and and for those who are listening was that is could you name maybe uh, uh, one or two books that you really enjoyed in the last 12 months that you'd like you'd recommend to other people? Um, OK, where the crawdad thing was a brilliant read. Do not go and see. Well, I won't go and see it in the cinema because there are very, very few books I've ever read that have managed to even come close in adaptation and film. That was brilliant. The Offing was beautifully written. Um, more than a year ago but it was just like a few years ago it was very impactful educated that was incredible uh oh I could go on and on I mean <laughs> yeah well 
well, we'll we'll have uh, we'll have some uh, we'll have a few of those books listed in in the show notes for for those that want to uh, want to I go mean, out and buy them. All time books, you've got to read Victor Frankl, A Man's Search for Meaning. That's unbelievable. A Holocaust Survivor, uh, unbelievable. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Actually, I, I read that when I was young. I thought that was brilliant. Um, Oh, I, I can send you a whole list. <laughs> well, I, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, I have been meaning to read that for a long time. Rich Dad, Poor, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I have read and I did enjoy it and uh, it was very inspirational. Um, that's uh, Robert Kiyosaki, isn't it? So uh, I did enjoy that very much. And Carnegie's old book, you know, How to Win Friends and Influence People, is that, is that corker? It, it is indeed. I have uh, I have also enjoyed that very much as well. Um, all very Malcolm, helpful. All of Malcolm Gladwell, he gets the brain going, tipping point. Um, yeah, I, Matthew uh, Syed, made to stick. Oh, anyway, yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Matthew, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, I, not, about a year and a bit ago, I read his most recent one, Talking to Strangers, which is very interesting as well. Um, so I recommend that, although um, it's probably not his most famous work but I think like you said anything by Malcolm Gladwell is generally a good read I, I would recommend anything by Michael Lewis as well for for that matter yeah, um right okay let's talk about your superpower I think we sort of touched on it but uh you know get uh, very interested to talk to you in a bit more detail about it I think I know what your superpower is obviously knowing you quite well but what do you think your superpower is I don't think I could put it in a word, but I would say energy is the first thing. I have an abundance of it. I get a double whammy from both my parents who have a lot of it, so I've got a lot of energy. Um, and I think I'm I'm interested. I'm interested in people. And I think most people in this world, not all, most people in this world, though, I don't think are interesting if they're not interested. So, like I say to my girl all the time, only boring people can be bored. I cannot tell you the last time I was bored. I don't have time to be bored. So I think my superpower is uh, having an abundance of energy. And I get a lot of energy from people. So that then brings me into what you may be thinking about, because in the business world, I suppose I'm known a bit for my network. And that's because I'm interested in people connecting. I, I think you have. I, I think that is uh, that sums it up really well. I think you benefit from a wonderful magnetism that um, that I hope is coming across. But I think if someone were to meet you, they would um, they would be blown away. And I I've known you for um, must be eight nine years now. And almost from the get go, the warmth that you that you sh the warmth and interest you show in people um, uh, is is really quite remarkable and it's totally understandable why you've been so successful in the industries that you've worked in which is i guess although it's within the wider real estate industry you have worked within finance insurance and law and people want to be around you and as as most people know people ultimately want to buy from people that they like and that they respect and that they trust and i think I'll pay that you later how much yeah. do you want uh well you know <laughs> the usual fee the usual fee talk, we'll talk margins later 
Um, no, I mean, I'm I'm interested though. Do you think that? Do you think though that that element of your upbringing and the fact that you grew up in a somewhere like Glasgow, where at least in your experience, everyone is warm and you felt safe, that aside from your early experiences in London, do you think that when you came to London, having come from that background um, and coming to a, a city where people are, everyone knows the, the usual stereotypes about people, London people on the underground, you know, you, you dare not make eye contact or say anything to anyone. Um, do you think that because you came from a place that is much warmer, personalities are much warmer, and you came as an adult, so you hadn't had the opportunity to have that chiselled off you, that that just gives you an automatic advantage over someone that was London born and bred and was probably just lives <laughs> lives life slightly more cynically? Um, no, I don't actually, because it was the same in Glasgow. The candies that people would refer to it was still like, oh, wait to make candy, you know, just as in, uh, you can't miss her, and she'll make sure she speaks to everyone in the room. And so, no, I, I, I don't, I don't really, I don't really think so. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think put me anywhere, um, it would probably be the same outcome. Just. Just want to take a step back to when you were at Marsh, just talking about personality here or superpower. Um, do you think it's worth adding a work ethic as to, uh, you know, a strong work ethic to superpowers as well? Because, you know, you mentioned sort of briefly in passing that you turned up to the opening of every envelope. But that's essentially. I think people sometimes think about um, networking events and cocktail parties and glitz and glamour, but actually it's it's actually a lot of hard work and so do you think so do you think that if you were to have a secondary superpower it would be that actually the fact that that you, you kind of hustle and you work hard and it, you, you know it's you, you were describing just before we started the call um an event that you'd been at and you were there you know you and there until the small hours um midweek i think it was a tuesday night um personally if i can avoid late night functions I, I'm going to avoid them and I've been invited to something this week as well and I said no because it wasn't particularly convenient for me do you uh, you know so do you think though to it's a bit a very long-winded question but do you think actually that hard work is a, a strong part of your your superpower set definitely definitely always has been I suppose I I've always been one to under-promise and over-deliver. It's super important to me that if I go to a prospect meeting or I go and see a client, if I say I'm going to do something, it's going to be done. And it's going to be done quicker than they expected and hopefully better than they expected. So, yeah, that's always been there, the work ethic, yeah. Um, let's talk about some people who might have provided you with some inspiration. So, you know, people... Who, People or past events, you know, have, has there been anything or anyone that has inspired you and given you motivation to succeed? I so wish I could turn around here and list mentors. I really wish I had. But I, I didn't. Um, and I suppose my mum was my inspiration in that she just always pushed me to do more. Um, 
a lot of the family are education was really important so that was something that was pushed upon us and being the first child I suppose mum had more time and energy to put a lot of time into me and she had me you know at, at the unbelievable age of 20 so she had all the energy in the world and was just she was a primary school teacher at the time so I think she was just trying to push me to do lots of good things and uh, so she's inspirational uh, she's still super young and super active. Um, but yeah, I wish I, I wish I had had a mentor. Well, it sounds like you had, you did have a good one. Uh, your mum, you, you, you know, I, I suppose you, you've seen your mum have a have had you at a young age. She's worked hard, made you know, made a good life for you. Um, you know, she's clearly had a strong work ethic and she's someone who seems to have a lot of energy and, like you said that's someone you've drawn a lot of inspiration from so I mean and I imagine a lot of people will be able to relate to that because they, a lot of people do look at their mum or their dad as their sort of as their heroes so um it it's it's a lovely thing for you to have um okay uh we now have a, a bit of a red pill blue pill question that I like to ask those uh, those guests of mine and if you had to choose between all the knowledge and experience you have now and you were given that aged 10 or you had the opportunity to be given 25 million pounds aged 25 which option would you choose and why oh see it again <laughs> so you can either have all the knowledge and wisdom you have now aged 10 yeah or you could have 25 million quid when you're 25 which option do you choose and why? Oh, 100% the latter. Because I wouldn't want to have all what I have now when I was 10. Thank you very much. Quite happy <laughs> when I was at 10. Um, you know, it, it, it's fascinating, isn't it, when you have children and young ones and you cannot put old heads on young shoulders. You know, we have to go through the stages, experience them and see them and feel them. So um, to have all that knowledge at 10 would have been a bit of a fright, frightening thing. Do you know, it's it's really interesting that... that and 25 million quid at 25 would not have been a good thing either. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, I, I personally would have always answered the heavy experience and wisdom age 10, but... I, because I don't I don't believe in the concept of being given money or being given something I feel I feel personally like you have to earn things but I you're not the first person to have answered that, that they would choose the money at 25 than the knowledge at 10 because for the same reason that I think that 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 loss of youthful innocence and not being able to part of the pleasure of life is learning uh learning as you go along and, and having experiences. So, um, and, there's, and that's why there's no real right answer to that question. I think it's always a, an, an, in, it's an interesting question, mainly to try and understand someone's mindset and psyche. Um, and yeah, really, really lovely answer. Um, tell me something that you believe that other people think is insane. Believe it in, in life? Yeah. So what what is, you know, we, we all have, you know, we all have our own, uh, we all have, have our own things that we think about um, 
the things that we believe it could be you know down from crazy conspiracy theories down to um you know down to things that are much more run-of-the-mill mundane i mean if you don't you don't what's yours um not that, I, not that i'm gonna nick yours but i'm just trying to get my head around what i can think what do now, I now, now you've put now you've put me on the spot. What um, do I believe that people would think is insane? Yeah, I, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm very conformist. So actually, that I don't really, I, I kind of, uh, I, I'm, I'm easily led astray. But I don't, I, I don't have any particularly unusual beliefs, um, or, 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 or thoughts, um. Normally, I normally normally my guests do have something, but uh, clearly, clearly you're a rational person. Maybe it's all those years in the law that uh, that uh, I'm, yeah, annoyingly rational. Yeah. I mean, this is like boring, but like physically, I always say to people, you know, I'm going to be doing cartwheels in my please God in my 90s and standing on my head in my 90s. Most people say, well, well, you won't I'm like. I will but that's not I, I'm not really into conspiracy theories I think that people always want to try and find another answer because they're just not happy with the truth of what really happened sorry dull answer if something comes up whilst we're here I'll come back to you okay okay no worries um on a different note uh, what are some common misconceptions about you? You know, I guess, you know, if, if someone were to, you know, if someone were to meet you, do, you know, as an example, if someone were to meet you, they make an assumption around you when actually that's that's not the case. But what would you say are some common misconceptions that people might have about you not knowing you that well? Um, I think that when you've always been in the business world and when I started out in real estate I mean law was different because there were a lot of women but still there were a lot less women higher up the the tree um I've surrounded myself with a lot of testosterone I have a lot of it myself uh and you're in a fast-paced world which you don't notice because you're always in it right but you have family and friends out with that say you live in this world of pressures and egos and which I don't notice because I'm just too involved. But I think that ends up giving you a, 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 a strength, but that doesn't always come across well. So you can come across, if you're a man and you've got these attributes, you're just seen as like this cool alpha in the room who just gets things done. But when you're a female, when you have some of these, whatever you want to call them, type A, alpha, whatever qualities, you can come across as being not assertive, which the man would be, but aggressive. You know, ball busting, aggressive, whatever. So I think the people that really know me know that I'm the first to cry when you watch one of these shows and someone's not as abled as you or someone's picking up an award and I'm and tears are coming down. Well, uh, I, I, I've seen it firsthand at the at the props lunch, which uh, Candice and I both uh, sit on the committee of. Candice is one of the chairs, and every time there's uh, the pledge appeal comes on screen every year, uh, Candice is in floods of tears. 
you know, touched by the emotion of uh, of the, the experiences of the, uh, I suppose, the variety clients that benefit from the money that we've raised for them. So uh, I, I've definitely seen that firsthand. I I actually would would like to ask a question because I I don't get the impression that you are shy and I don't get the impression and this is outwardly that you're shy or that you ever lack confidence. Um, do you th- that I think may be a misconception as well. Would you agree with that or or are you generally very self-confident and you and you don't have shy moments? cannot tell you a time where I've had a shy moment. <laughs> and I will tell you one time where I'm not confident. And it's everything I don't really understand all comes together. The insecurity, the lack of confidence, the fear. And it's all come together thanks to my partner who introduced me to a sport called skiing. And that's where all of those, not shyness, but all those other horrible things that I don't really understand, I now understand them. So the self-confidence evaporates the moment you you, 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 you put a pair of ski boots on and, uh, and, and, and some skis. 100%. But does, is that something that actually you quite enjoy? It's something that you're not automatically confident at? Is it dry, you know, does your natural drive and determination make you want to do better at those? Well, if you'd asked me this question five years ago on my first ski trip, 100%. I was in, I was going for it. But then my third day of ever skiing, I had a really nasty accident, which stopped me from walking for some time. My my calf popped out my leg and then that was it. So because now it's all the fear of, I just can't not have the energy to do everything I need to do. And I, you know, so that's, created that whole other level of fear okay if that hadn't happened yet I'd have been like within five years I'm gonna have this and I'm gonna be doing black runs it's all gonna be great (laughs) well we I guess we can't all be amazing at everything so uh that that can be your Achilles heel Candice the the skiing um okay cool let's talk about your key personal values um I guess for life more generally and then specifically in business? I mean, it sounds corny, but I've always, I've said this mantra for many, many years. If I'm not loving, learning or connecting, I'm not living. That's really it for me. Love, learn, connect. So in my, and the love is, I'm, you know, very blessed with an amazing partner and our girl and a massive family and loads of friends. And the learning is constant every day. So first, one of the first things I do when I get up after I brush my teeth is usually try and get the word all done. I go on my Elevate app and do my five minutes brain training and then reading and obviously all of the work. And the connecting, whether that be for work or for personal, is a, is a constant. That's great. Do you... Um... From a business perspective, do you think that um, trust is a very key component to how you conduct yourself in business? 100%. I think that, listen, everyone has to sell, whether you like it or not. And, you know, many years of being a lawyer, lawyers are not good with the S word, right? 
selling. Uh, law firms have finally realized they're, they're a business too and they have to sell. So we all sell. People buy from people not just because they like them, but because they trust them. And trust takes time and trust needs to be earned. And I think it's unbelievably important. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that in, entirely. And, you know, ultimately, trust is a combination of, um, of, of performance over time. You know, you've got to deliver for people. And certainly when, when, we, when we founded Avermore and when we had competitive products, you, you're ultimately trying to compete with other people in the market who you might be slightly cheaper than, but ultimately you're in a performance business and the difference in price is not sometimes sufficient to justify a finance broker going somewhere, going to you as the, the new kid on the block when they have the potential to lose the client that they've been nurturing over 5, 10, 15 years over one transaction, which because they've given it to you rather than the people that they've worked with historically, just because you're that tiny bit cheaper. And so it does take time to get yourself into the, the good graces in that particular industry. And it's just a function of, of performance over time that you build that trust up. Um, you, uh, you, you mentioned your, your partner and, uh, and the girl that you share together. Um, outside of work, how do you like to spend your time uh, other than doing Wordles and Elevate uh, and reading, reading your Kindle on the, on the treadmill? Uh, so I'm a massive game player, come from a family of games. We didn't really watch TV, so we were always playing games, which again just keeps the brain active. So I managed to get my family into it, which is great. So I can tell you every great board game, so very into our board games. Um, my man's very into his cooking and knows everything about alcohol, so um, we do partake and we love to host so we host dinner parties regularly. Uh, we travel uh, quite a bit when we can. We're not going to discuss the fact that we're going on a skiing trip next week. And um, yeah, we're, we're, we're active. We don't, we both really don't ever stop. So there's never a weekend where we're just going to sit on a sofa and not do anything. So we're either going to be at a party or we're going to be hosting a dinner or we've been invited to party or we're traveling somewhere. So it's always work hard and play a bit harder. <laughs> yeah, I would expect nothing less from you. Um, in terms of your ho hobbies or your personal life, um, has, have, there been, have there been many things or experiences that you've been able to apply to your business life uh, more, more recently? I wouldn't say more recently, but I suppose because a huge part of my private life is connecting, you know, hosting, being around people is what my work life is. You know, lunches, dinners, drinks, it's, um, yeah. So, so I and suppose. Actually, one of my favourite board games so my favourite board game is Scrabble and Boggle. My, my, no one's ever beaten me at Boggle. It's my, my thing. Um, I even played Boggle with a guy in my office a few years ago who is now a client, a family office. See, so I even managed to bring my board games into my work life. 
that's uh how sad is that i i i personally love it i, I think i think it's great but now you've said no one's ever beat you at boggle i i'm just gonna say challenge accepted uh i've never even played i've never even played it but i am gonna make it my life's work now to beat you at boggle. i am going to bring it to our next charity committee meeting they only take three minutes we'll play a few rounds done Okay, all right. You you now have created a, a, an addict at Boggle, um, but I think just the point that you were making around uh, around your personal life and being someone that you you know you're, you're you're constantly hosting and spending time with people. I guess I think what that highlights to me is that the more you do something, the better you get at it. And so the more in, in your case, it's about connecting with people and the more you connect with people, the better you get at connect, connecting with people. And that's where you've been able to transfer that into the business life because you're so comfortable connect, connecting with people and you're so comfortable talking to people that when you meet new people and you have you, you just build connections really fast in a way that maybe other people can't do that as well. So that that for me is uh, is really interesting um do you have any business or life hacks that maybe you could share with uh, with our listeners um you know things that uh, things that you've learned through you know through the years that you're now that you now apply on a regular basis always be long-term hungry nothing happens overnight so whoever tells you these stories or oh, do this quick fix and you'll make your millions be long-term hungry. You know, everyone says we're not here for a long time. Maybe don't read 4,000 weeks. I wasn't that impressed. Um, although it is quite sobering that the average person in this country will live for 4,000 weeks. Anyway, long-term hungry. Um, just be decent to everyone. E everyone you meet, is a, be open-minded. Everyone you meet is a potential opportunity. Um, and... What else? Don't talk in a lift when you come out of a meeting. I've seen it. I've heard it. Keep that stuff for when you've left that office where you've had a meeting with someone. Um, and if you don't like what you do, get out as quickly as you can and get into something that you get up in the morning and you're looking forward to doing it. And I know that sounds so... Uh, I know there's not a lot of people that get up and go, yes, I can't wait to go to the office. But if you honestly are dreading it, get out, get into something else. I think uh, I think some very, very sage, wise bits of advice there and uh, quite a lot there that I've experienced myself and completely agree with. Um, particularly the, the bit about chatting when you come out of a lift. Uh, <laughs> you know, wait till you're way, way, way away from that building before you have that conversation um and I, and I really agree with you about you know doing something that you that do something that you like because you spend so much of your life working and it's much better you know it, I have someone who's worked for me recently he's moved moved to another firm and he's not worked for him at this other firm and when he was working for me he was really enjoying a particular role but then for whatever reason he wanted more money so he was moved into more of a sales role um and i just don't think it was something that he really enjoyed or was that passionate about but then with my assistance moved him on to another firm to do a you know another salesy type role again 
thinking that that might be something that he, that would be aligned to him. And and ultimately, um, it hasn't worked out for him. And I think it's you know I think really, uh, and then I spoke to him recently, and I said the the things that you need to be mindful of are try to do something that you're good at, that you like doing, and ideally that pays you well. But if it even if it doesn't pay you well, if you do something you, you're good at and that you, you like, eventually in most industries the money will come anyway. So, you know, again, I think ties in with you know what you were saying right there at the end. And um yeah, some great stuff. Um last question really and it's a slightly personal question. We've I, I sort of flagged this past you uh, earlier in the weeks because I, I didn't want to uh I didn't want to uh, side uh, you know, sideline you on it but um you in within your personal life you and your partner um share a daughter the the daughter is some it, it wasn't you know it was someone that had a, had a different mum uh, earlier in her life how do you how do you strike that balance between being um you know being a mum to her but also being respectful and acknowledging the fact that that this isn't your this isn't your biological daughter how how does that feature in your life and how do you how do you strike that balance uh, so when i met my partner um I, you know he told me right at the beginning that uh, horrifically he'd lost his wife when his girl was two so he was coming as a, a package so obviously he lived with his daughter 24 7 and he he's a hardworking man, so didn't have much spare time. So it was a case of within a few weeks of a few dates, it's like, right, you're coming to meet my daughter, who by then was uh, six and a half. And has just turned 13. Um, and she's now much taller than me. Uh, and wearing all my clothes, not my shoes, because her feet are now two sizes bigger, three sizes bigger. Anyway, I, I think like every female I've probably ever spoken to you're just always juggling and you just never feel like you do enough because I think some men have the guilt gene but I just don't know how much men have the guilt gene as much as as the women <laughs> I don't know what it is so you always like oh can't do all the pa that parents night because I found out too late and I've already got this work thing or I can't go and see that show because I've got, you know, and it's always the, how much do you do? What do you do? So it's definitely the hardest job I've ever done, for sure. I don't really question much of my business thought processes, answers, acumen, but practically everything I say to my girl, I do. I go, should I have done that? Should I have said that? So yeah, toughest, most challenging job I've ever had. But she's a great kid. And it's and it sounds like something that you find particularly rewarding as well and satisfying. Yes, she's still. It's quite amazing. She's still happy for me to read to her at night. So we we get those moments which are super special. They'll be going very soon, but amazing that we're still doing them. And then next week she'll be like coming up to me saying. I just did a black run. Where were you? I'll be like, <laughs> <laughs> she knows that I've got to be great at everything. So she loves it because she's so much better than me at skiing. So she's just like, see ya. 
and she's whizzing down and I'm crying at the top of a little blue going if uh, if you if someone was to say to you um in I suppose 2009-2010 when you were still in Glasgow um that you would be fast forward sort of 12 13 years later you'd be living in Surrey you'd have a you know you'd have a 13 year old daughter you'd have you'd have you'd had founded and sold a business and um and you had would have made this fantastic life for yourself would anyone have would you have believed someone if they told you that no and i think i think when i i've done quite a bit of mentoring and we speak to these younger people and they say i mean i got a great example actually we've got the most wonderful au pair she's 21 she's Bring all these accolades at university. She's doing so well. She wants to be either a neuroscientist or get into prosthetics. She's amazing. She's so worried she's making the wrong choices because her university course is quite complex. It's got all these different tiers and she can choose this subject or that subject. And I said to her, honestly, I know you think these are the biggest choices of your life and choices are unbelievably important. But if you go this way, in a few years time, you're going to end up going that you're going to do great whatever you do, right? So it's just weird where life takes you. you know, what is it they say? Tell God your plans and hear him laugh. Well, yeah, I, I think I think we've all we, we've all heard his laughter in our own individual lives, haven't we? So, uh, yeah, I can certainly relate to that. And it is amazing, actually, when you use the example of that, the au pair, uh, where the the stories we tell ourselves and they are just stories or myths um the myths we tell ourselves about how we have to do this by this certain age and if we don't do this our life will be over um and of course the reality is completely different and um yeah i mean i'm yeah as i said i've known you a long time and i'm absolutely delighted for you for the life that you've that you've made for yourself and you you entirely deserve it um but certainly for anyone who's listening to this and you you find yourself in a in the what you think is the middle of your life when really it's just the start of your life in a situation where you're bored or fed up or fill in the blank um you know there's so much more life that you can be living and don't you know don't be obsessed with a certain outcome allow allow the outcome to come to you and you you be you'd be surprised how much you might enjoy the outcome but more importantly the journey on in, in getting there um but uh, candice um is there anything anything else that you want to say or any question any questions you want to ask me um no i just i, I a funny one where you see you know did you think you'd end up where you'd end up i think one of my funniest moments in my working world i was it was the day where I was trying to close a deal with a, a quite a big name in the industry, and I won't I won't mention the name, but I was at Elstree Studios because I'd been asked to be an extra pro on the opening uh, show of Strictly Come Dancing. It was seven years ago. I can't remember. I was about four. I was about forty-one. And uh, anyway, so I arrived at the studios, and uh, we were doing this salsa. And I was dancing with the current 23-year-old European champion. And I had my phone at the side because I just, everyone else that was dancing were like so much younger than me and maybe 
didn't have the same work requirements that I did but I had my phone there in the middle of like a twirl I was just like and the phone and I knew it was him and I was like be back and I went over to like take we didn't actually close the deal that day but I had a fabulous time at Strictly Come Dancing so some of the weird wacky wonderful things that we get to do you just don't know where life's going to take you but say yes to everything well maybe not everything but say yes to most things and just get up every day and enjoy it yeah, uh, wise wise words, wise advice. Um, Candy Samaroff, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Michael, yeah, I look forward to seeing you at our next charity committee meeting. Thank you so much for all your time. Thank you. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales, their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.